I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, Rami Malek brings Freddie Mercury back to life in Bohemian Rhapsody, and I've got a review. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. We'll also catch up on a bunch of other movies we saw this week, like Skyscraper, Ocean's 8, and Tag. And a big movie is set to take a bite out of home video. First, it's the news from the couch. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Exciting news this week for fans of one of the greatest TV shows in history, Breaking Bad. The show's creator, Vince Gilligan, is about to start production on a film based on the hit AMC series about a chemistry teacher turned meth dealer. The first reports did not reveal much about it. Is it a prequel? Is it a sequel? Will it be on the big screen or will it be on TV? It was also being described as a spin-off movie, but they've already got a Breaking Bad spin-off TV series. So if you want to make more money and uh, keep the money that you make, better call Saul. <laughs> better call Saul, which recently finished its fourth season on AMC. Excellent as ever. No official word if Brian Cranston or Aaron Paul, who played Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, will be in this movie, but Cranston says he would happily do it because he thinks Vince Gilligan is a genius. Also, as more details began to filter out, it was learned the working title is Green Briar, and it's apparently about the escape of a kidnapped man on a quest for freedom, i.e. it's about what happens to Jesse Pinkman after he finds his freedom. I've always wondered what happened with his life after the show ended in 2013. Looks like we'll maybe find out soon in a Breaking Bad movie. Yeah, Mr. White. Yes, science. Rick Grimes' last episode, next Sunday night. I'm looking for my family. It feels like it's ending. It's not over. We don't die. Now, on the subject of AMC-related movies, something big is coming for The Walking Dead. And spoiler alert, while it was the main character Rick Grimes' last episode this past Sunday on The Walking Dead, it was not his end. He survived and will be featured in a trilogy of Walking Dead movies which will air on AMC in the coming years. So once again, The Walking Dead has fooled us. We've known for a long time that this would be Rick's final season, with actor Andrew Lincoln looking to bow out of the series. AMC advertised the episode quite heavily, as you heard in that clip, as his last episode. But surprise, he's not dead and he'll be in movies. The show has been criticized over the years for deceiving its audiences too much, and the main offender of those deceptions was how they held on for weeks, dragging out the is Glenn dead or not mystery. I guess I'm glad he's still alive, but it's yet another stunt on the part of the show and AMC. Thankfully, the show's been really good this year, for the first time in a few seasons now, so I'll let it go. I guess I'm losing hope. But like I said, it's all about slim chances now. And a slim chance is better than none. What? 
is the meaning of this. Where is his mate? I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. My favorite pair of socks reduced to a single argyle. Nor is this the only example. The keen observer yesterday would have noticed that I left the apartment wearing two shades of black. Explanation, please. There have been a lot of TV reboots lately. Full House, Will and Grace, Roseanne, The Connors, Murphy Brown. But if it happens, Frasier would take the cake for me. There were reports a few months back that Kelsey Grammer was meeting with writers in the hopes of finding a good way to reboot the show. Grammer played eminent psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane for 20 years, starting with what was supposed to simply be a six-episode arc on Cheers in the early 80s. I'm Dr. Fraser Crane. Like many who enter the psychiatric profession, Fraser is a sensitive and trusting man. Day after day, miserable people coming into your office and pouring out their litany of depression and anxiety. You make me sick. The only way my situation could be any worse is if I actually listened to them. <laughs> I think you'll find that once you've been a patient of mine, I'm always there when you... Oh, great. I'll bet this is important. <laughs> Six episodes turned into nearly a decade and was followed by another 11 seasons in the spin-off Frasier. So while he is interested in stepping back into Frasier's shoes again, Grammer recently told a panel at a comedy festival, quote, there's been no premise that has come along that has the necessary fire, end quote. They also said he didn't want to just redo what they already did, nor would he want to do anything without David Hyde Pierce, Jane Leaves, or Perry Gilpin, a.k.a. Niles, Daphne, and Roz. John Mahoney, who played his dad Martin, has already passed away. So it's looking a little less like we'll see Frasier again, but never say never. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Good night, everybody. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. An update to a story we told you about over the summer. A new screenplay written by the late, great Stanley Kubrick was discovered by a film professor in Wales, and now it's going up on the auction block. He wrote it at the beginning of his career in 1956. It's based on the novella Burning Secret by Austrian writer Stefan Zweig. He wrote it with the novelist and screenwriter Calder Willingham. They went on the following year to make Paths of Glory, and then Kubrick was off to the races with his masterpieces, including 2001 A Space Odyssey, which we heard. Dr. Strangelove. Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair mussed, but I do say no more than 10 to 20 million kill tops, uh, depending on the brakes. And The Shining. Here's Johnny. This screenplay that's been discovered is apparently about a baron who befriends a 12-year-old boy in the hopes of seducing his married mother. That's the reason some thought it may have been too racy, and that's why they didn't make it. Some other early conjectures suggest that the screenplay could fetch up to $20,000 when it hits the auction block in New York later this month. How I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. I've never seen a man cut before. It's so... 
That is a clip from Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, a new live-action film about The Jungle Book, which will soon debut on Netflix. It's from actor-director Andy Serkis and serves as a reinvention of the classic tale from Rudyard Kipling, providing a darker take on the story about a boy torn between two worlds. Akira. This movie has had an interesting run so far. Originally set to be released in theaters in October of 2016, it was delayed because, as you might recall, in the spring of 2016, Disney released its own live-action Jungle Book, which almost made a billion dollars worldwide. So Warner Brothers pushed theirs off to 2017 and then ultimately decided to sell the rights. This poor movie just needs to find a place to belong. be my son, Mowgli. Nothing can ever change that. The jungle is changing. Man is taking more of it. The boy may just be our only hope of survival. We're afraid of what man might do to us. The pack needs you, Mowgli. Great cast in this one. Christian Bale as Bagheera the Panther, Andy Serkis as Baloo the Bear, Kate Blanchett as Ka the Snake, and Benedict Cumberbatch as this guy. Smaug the dragon. No, that's Shere Khan, the mean tiger who refuses to accept Mowgli as one of the jungle's own. Frida Pinto and Matthew Reese also star, along with some kid as Mowgli. It opens in a limited theatrical release November 29th in Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and London. The fact that Warner Brothers dumped this down to Netflix, I think, does not bode well for Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, but I'm still curious about it and will probably pull huge numbers for the streaming service on which it makes its debut December 7th. I am not a man, but neither am I a wolf. Which of you will follow me? everybody. Sleeping arrangements. Brennan, you're going to be sharing a room with Dale. Just until the two of you get jobs and you move out. Hey, are you awake? Yeah. I hate your guts. As soon as your eyes shut, I'm going to punch you square in the face. It's been 10 years since John C. Riley and Will Ferrell teamed up in Step Brothers, and there's still talk of a sequel. Step Brothers was actually the second time the two paired up to become one of the greatest comedy teams of all time. My favorite is 2006's Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, where they played race car drivers. Hey, what? I'm the magic man now. Yeah, I know. Okay? So get ready for some tricks up these sleeves, all right? Watch your buns, pal. Baby, that is real good. Right? Talk, it's like we're practicing. Okay. So I tell you, major piece of trash. What? Come on, baby. Abracadabra, Holmes. And this Christmas, they're playing Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson in Holmes and Watson. A murder in Buckingham Palace. Solve this case in four days or I will kill the Queen. Signed, Professor James Moriarty. 
Come, Watson. We have a killer to catch. Yeah, no sh- While appearing on ABC's Good Morning America this week, Riley said he's still game for another run at Step Brothers. He said, quote, it requires the cooperation of a few other people, but I would love to do another one of those. The other people include Will Ferrell and director Adam McKay. Ferrell has said he's up for it, but since his movie The Big Short got all those Oscar nominations, director McKay seems to be a bit more into drama than comedy. Surely, eventually, they'll all need the surefire hit and get it done. Well, Pan. No, my name is Pam. Are you saying Pan or Pam? Pam. Pam. With an There's M. There's a D on the end. There's no D. It's Pam. It's like calm. Here, it's P. P-A-N-M. That is the news from the couch. And up next, the Statham takes on oh. a mega monster. Details next. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. She's coming. It was the largest shark that ever existed. Thought to have been extinct for two million years. The things out there. We need to find it and kill it. Why don't you just put a tracker on it? Did you guys ever watch Shark Week? In cinemas, August 10. Rep. Gary Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes, and there you have it. That was the movie, The, the Meg. Meg. Starring Jason Satham and a great big shark, and Rain Wilson, as you heard there, Dwight from The Office. Uh, did you see it? I saw it. I did not see it. I gave it two and a half couch cushions out of five. It was, it was a little frustrating. It was, it's not good, but it's not so bad it's good, mm-hmm. but it's also not fun enough to be good yeah like it looked like it would be a riot yeah but it was just it was it was weirdly flat for a lot of it now some of the action is really good and statham's one of those guys where he's just he's just always so watchable right like and he cracks me up in this thing because he's just like all right let's go kill the shark he just dives into the water and starts (laughs) swimming after it after a shark (laughs) after the meg that could swallow half the boat whole if it wanted to yeah so it was weird i said at the time when we reviewed it i said don't spend your money to see it in theater rent it instead so now it's available for rent and why not? It's not a bad Friday night. And it made a ton of movie. It made a ton of money. It was uh, over half a billion worldwide. Yeah. And it was, it, it, even when it was number one the weekend it came out, everyone's like, what? And then I, I just looked it up. It was number two the next four weekends. Yeah. It did very well yeah. domestically. $143 million, And as Jeff pointed out, uh, $527 million Boom. worldwide. Uh, so you got to imagine there. Have they announced a sequel for this already? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and the second one, I, I think it was that thing where, like, if they would have tried a little bit harder, it would have been a great movie. But they probably sort of knew where it would end up, and or didn't think it would be the smashing success it was. So I don't think I think they'll try harder with the second one. Is what I'm saying. Well, I hope so, and hopefully yeah. they'll lighten it up a little bit. But hopefully they don't go too far, right? Because you don't want a movie to be so campy and ridiculous that it's just yeah, but this silly. Thing, didn't it, there were opportunities for humor that it just whiffed on time and time again, and it's like they need to give the script to a stand-up comic and let him just write some punchlines for them or something like that. Wow. Uh, also coming out to uh, digital HD, so the the Meg is going to be on Blu-ray, DVD, on demand as well. Yeah. Uh, digital HD has The Equalizer Two, starring Denzel Washington, and I'm just looking at the box office totals. This is weird. So The Equalizer Two made 102 million dollars domestically. Okay. And a worldwide total of 190. All right. All right. So 102 and 190. The Equalizer 1, which came out in uh, 2014, made 101 million domestically and 192 million worldwide. Oh so literally every person that saw the first one went to the second one and not one person more. That's right. And there's a little bit of a 
they raised pr- ticket prices twenty cents. Yeah, so that's <laughs> uh, that's coming to digital HD. That one looked cool. I liked the first one. It was a good renter. And then uh, Searching by John Cho. This is that movie that was shot entirely on like webcam and iPhones yeah. and stuff like that. Whereas uh, he's got a daughter in college and she goes missing and he's trying to find out about her and or something like that, right? And then uh, everything is not as it seems. Yeah, it got great reviews. It looks really cool, really creepy, and I like John Cho. And then a couple of more for a Blu-ray DVD, Mile 22. With Mark Wahlberg, that didn't do anything and nobody seemed to like it. And then uh, Juliet Naked starring Ethan Hawke, Rose Byrne, and Chris O'Dowd. That is a romantic comedy from the guy that made uh, High Fidelity. And I really like that movie. I give it four coach cushions out of five. It's uh, one of the it's the best rom-com of the year. It's even better than Crazy Rich Asians, I thought. It's about uh, uh, Ethan Hawke plays an old washed up uh, singer from the 90s. Chris O'Dowd is his biggest fan and his girlfriend is Rose Byrne. And then she uh, meets Ethan Hawke online and they start up a thing. Up next, I'm going to review a movie about musical royalty. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Time now to review Bohemian Rhapsody. No one will play us on the radio. We need to get experimental. Bohemian Rhapsody. What on earth is it about? Scaramouche. Scaramouche. Galileo. And all that Ismiller business. Bismillah. Bismillah. Don't misunderstand. It's rock and roll. We will, we will rock you. Bohemian Rhapsody. Here to PG-13. Number one movie last weekend with $51 million domestically. Clearly a commercial hit. But as for critics, only 60% on Rotten Tomatoes with a summary reading as follows. Bohemian Rhapsody hits a handful of high notes, but as an in-depth look at a beloved band, it offers more of a medley than a true greatest hits collection. I guess I sort of agree with that because I would start by pointing out it runs 134 minutes and it really drags in the second half until they get to the Live Aid performance because everything in this movie sort of culminates to that performance in 1985. But the first hour was just loads of fun as we learned about Freddie Mercury's background. He's from Zanzibar. Did you know that? I did know that. I had no idea. His real name is Farouk Bolsara. No clue. And that first hour really shows how well this band worked together, how much fun they had, how much camaraderie there was between them, and how well they worked together as a creative unit because it showcased just how much of a band they were. Like, Freddie was always the star, but they were a team. They loved each other, they cared for each other, and it really showed in the actors' performances that these guys needed each other. They were all talented, but Queen could not be Queen without the four of them all bringing different things to the table, especially like when they it shows them squabbling over the lyrical content and what song they should they be doing this song. I don't want to do this song. It's just it's kind of funny. I'm not a Queen historian. It's clearly evidenced by the fact I didn't know that Freddie Mercury was from <laughs> Zanzibar, so I didn't know what was true and what wasn't, or what was maybe you know tweaked for dramatic effect. And right. indeed, there's all kinds of fact check articles posted about this movie. They really messed around with the timeline for dramatic effect. And in many cases, they just straight up made stuff up, also for dramatic effect. But this is, after all, it's a movie telling a story so I can appreciate that they took some creative license because it still captures the essence 
of the story of Queen and Freddie Mercury. But that Live Aid performance is the real draw here because it is so meticulously recreated. First thing I did when I got home after watching Bohemian Rhapsody was watch the real Queen performance on YouTube. You can just go to YouTube and type in Queen Live Aid and watch the whole 25-minute set. And every detail is perfect. The funny faces that Freddie makes to mug for the camera, the way he's holding his arm, the way he dances. It's just so incredibly faithful. As well, the audio that is used in the performance in the film was clean audio from that concert all the way back in 1985. Never before released audio that is going to be available on the soundtrack, so I think I'm going to have to pick that up. Great cast all around, anchored by Rami Malek, who is such a great actor. I mean, we both, Couch Potatoes, love him and Mr. Robot and pretty much everything he does. And while he did a great job, it's kind of hard for me not to wonder how would this movie have been with Sasha Baron Cohen in the role because you might remember he was originally cast back in 2010. 2010! This movie's been in the oh work for, for almost a decade. He parted ways in 2013 after creative differences with the band because he wanted the portrayal to be more outlandish, more explicit. They didn't want to go that route. It's not like the movie shied away from stuff. You know, Freddie Mercury's debauchery is captured in this film. His sexual encounters with men are portrayed in this film. They just didn't do anything super explicit, explicit, which I think is okay. I mean, it was more than obvious what was happening. So it's not like they were trying to hide from it. So I don't think it needed to be more explicit, but Sasha Baron Cohen is such a master of disguise that he would have immersed himself in the role uh, whereas with Malik, he has those huge, distinctive eyes. I mean, it's hard not to look at him in this role and just see Rami Malik playing Freddie Mercury rather than simply seeing Freddie Mercury. And that's no fault of Rami. I mean, he's such a great actor. He just... Those eyes, man! Yeah. Well, you can't do anything about it, right? They're like spaceships. There's Two like, spaceships on his so face. So long as he doesn't have to pretend to be surprised by something, we're good. Because <laughs> he always looks surprised? Exactly. <laughs> I was delighted, by the way, to see the name Mike Myers pop up in the opening credits because Mike Myers and Wayne's World, the movie, as you recall, led to a rebirth for Bohemian Rhapsody in the 90s. I was in high school when that movie came out, and I had never heard Bohemian Rhapsody before that. I don't I think knew I had a either. bunch of other Queen songs. I knew another one, Bites the Dust, and We Will Rock You, and all that sort of thing, but I'd never heard Bohemian Rhapsody before Wayne's World. I don't think so either. I mean, then, so that song got re released in 1991 and went to number one again. Yeah, yeah it's like what the Supreme did for Journey. Yeah, that's right. So having Mike Myers appear in this movie was cool, but then I kind of forgot he was in it. So when he finally pops up as this jerk record executive, <laughs> I didn't recognize him. Oh, really? He actually looked kind of like Danny McBride. I knew it wasn't Danny McBride. I just didn't know who it was. So I didn't connect the dots. The person I went to the movie with pointed it out for me after the fact. So... I was kind of embarrassed by that. I just, anyway, the main takeaway from this film for me is that didn't really do anything new as a film. Not best picture material, not by a mile. But it was a mostly fun movie that gave us some insight into one of the greatest bands in history and one of the greatest performers in history in Freddie Mercury. Seeing how the song Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, was recorded was a riot to watch. And just getting to hear all these old Queen songs I've forgotten about, like Hammer to Fall, 
part of the Live Aid performance, Radio Gaga. Somehow I've forgotten about these songs. So this week, all I've been listening to is Queen. Oh, really? The movie has made me want to learn more about this amazing band. So that's good. So it's not perfect, (laughs) but left me feeling happy and inspired by the talent that this band has, particularly Freddie Mercury, that human beings can do such wonderful things. And just watching the recreation of the Live Aid concert on the big screen was so good. So I'm going to give it four couch cushions out of five. I uh, would recommend this film. Just don't take it too seriously and uh, you'll be good. I still plan to see it. I don't know that I will get around to it right away, but I definitely want to. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that it showed how the four of those guys needed each other and had to be each other and had so much fun as a band. I spent this whole last week reading the Beastie Boys book. Oh, and yeah? That whole book has got the exact same theme. This entire book is just... That's all it was. It was just those three. They had other guys come in and out of their circle for over 25 years or whatever it was, but it was the core three guys. That was it. What's the name of the book? Beastie Boys Book. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. So up next, we're going to talk about three movies that have been kicking around for a few months now. Two of them, I think that Jeff has actually seen, oh, but I just now. finally, yeah, oh, so I, I just finally saw two of them, and Jeff uh, just added a new one from The Rock to the mix. So we'll review all that coming up after these. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We saw a couple of other movies this week besides Brett's review of Bohemian Rhapsody, which we just heard there. Uh, we'll start with something from The Rock. It's called Skyscraper. The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. Let it burn. Do you have my family? You picked the wrong guy. PG-13. In which The Rock takes on a burning building. I'll tell you a little bit what it's about. It's a cookie-cutter plot that's not terribly interesting. You can see everything coming a mile away. At least I could, and if I can see it coming a mile away, everyone can because I'm dumb at movies. Um, <laughs> basically, The Rock plays a guy who gets sent to this tallest skyscraper in the world in Hong Kong. It's called The Pearl. It's about to open. The first, it's a mixed-use development. The first 100 floors are all sorts of recreational type stuff and shops and things like that. The top 100 are apartments and condos or whatever, and he's going to assess the safety so they can get insurance for the top 100 floors so people can start moving in and leaving there. Nobody lives in it yet except for the guy who built it who lives in the penthouse, and The Rock's family's living in it for the weekend type of thing. Uh, while The Rock is doing his thing, terrorists take over, set the building on fire, and that endangers his family, and The Rock has to come to the rescue. Um, the fire is too much. The building would collapse. It's 220 stories tall, and half of it is on fire. There's just no way it could sustain itself like that. So that's ridiculous, but the movie needs more humor in it. It's not terribly funny. It should be funnier. A lot of it's really lame. The ending is insultingly dumb, and about the only thing they really do for tension is have The Rock almost fall off the building, which happened, I counted four times. It might have happened a couple other times, too. He almost falls. You know he's not going to fall because he's The Rock, and it's not the sort of thing where you can fall and survive. When you're 200 stories up, if you fall, you just die, period. So He, he fell in the other guys. <laughs> You're right, and he died. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From a much smaller building. So uh, he has an artificial leg in this, which
which is a weird gimmicky thing. It gives adds a limp to his acting repertoire, which is pretty good, I guess. I guess it's something different and uh, sort of the rock at 100% is... Not a fair fight, even against a burning building. I don't know what it is. It was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, I think he just needs... Because what else was he in? Rampage? Nobody liked that, apparently. He was in the Jumanji, which was a big hit and everybody liked. He's doing a Fast and Furious movie every other year. Uh, that th- Those are good. I got nothing against that. But he does a lot of movies, and a lot of them aren't great. He needs to pick better movies because um, I'm pretty sure he gets to pick what he wants at this time. Don't yeah. you think? He's one of the biggest movie stars on the planet right oh, yeah. now. So he should be picking better movies. Uh, on the other hand, you know, who wouldn't take the cash to be an action star while you can? There were a lot of diehard references to this, which were, I was like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. But sometimes it's like, what are you, just ripping off Die Hard? And the movie's nowhere near as good as Die Hard, so why would you want to draw attention to that fact? Because yeah. there was just no way it was going to be. It looks great, though. It looks gorgeous, but it's just, it's... It's too much. Like, you know, sometimes these things hit their peak and it's just like, well, that's just dumb. It's just too much. It delves into that a little bit too much and it's not funny enough to make that make it a good movie, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so I, I, it's not terrible. It's worth a rent, I guess. Three and a half couch cushions out of, or three couch cushions out of five. Three couch cushions yeah. out of five for Skyscraper. Yeah. Okay. So that came out in, uh, that was July, a July 13th release. Yeah. So here's one that came out on June 8th. Debbie Ocean, convicted felon. Her brother, Danny Ocean, more convicted felon. In three and a half weeks, the Met will be hosting its annual ball, and we are going to rob it. Is it genetic? Are the whole family like this? $16.5 million in each of your bank accounts. It's legit, right? Absolutely. Came on. Why do you need to do this? Because it's what I'm good at. Ocean's Aid, only in cinemas. Yeah, Ocean's 8. Uh, Warner Brothers sends us, uh, our friends at Warner Brothers, they yeah. send us Blu-rays uh, to have a look at. So I watched Ocean's 8, and wow, did I hate this movie. Really? Oh, my God. It was just... It's, the Waste. cast had so much promise. Wasted potential. Oh, Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Rihanna, and Hathaway, Sarah Paulson, Mindy Kaling, Helena Bonham Carter, James Corden. Aquafina. That's right, Aquafina. The list goes on, but... I was just bored. Yeah. And then I sort of tricked myself into thinking this is okay. And then James Corden came in and made me laugh out loud. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. The rest of the movie really sucked up until now. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And Sandra Bullock's character just wasn't likable. No. And she's the most likable person on the planet. They just, they took she's a weird- She's miscongeniality. Yeah. They took a weird, like- how do you not know how to write a movie for Sandra Bullock at this point? I know. She just, her character had this weird chip on her shoulder the whole time, and she was not likable. She wasn't charming. You know, she's supposed to be the sister of Danny Ocean, who was the most charming guy there was. Yeah. And she just, it was just boring. I, I didn't care. And they threw in a couple of token characters from the Ocean's Eleven movies, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it just was not good. Don't watch it. Sorry, <laughs> Warner Brothers. I'm giving Ocean's Eight one couch cushion out of five. Oh. I, I just did not like this movie at all. The next one, I'd like a little bit more also from Warner Brothers on Blu-ray this movie came out a week later Tag Kate Touch This Hello boys so who's this? Kate Touch This Kate Touch This Our group of friends has been playing the same game of Tag for 30 years Will well, you watch me? Why are you acting like children? It's so much more than a game Congratulations buddy you're it it's even a reason to be in each other's lives. Oh, you're so it. Our friend is a psychopath, and this is scary. Tag. 
can't touch this. June 15th. Based on a, inspired by a true story about yeah. a group of friends who played tag uh, for their whole life, basically. <laughs> and the movie stars Jeremy Renner, uh, Andy from The Office. Ed Helms. Thank you. And Hammer. Don Draper. John Hamm. That's right. And then the, the comedian. Hannibal Bruce. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Is that all of them? That, oh, and then uh, Nick from New Girl. Oh, yeah. Jake Nick, Johnson. Jake Johnson. <laughs> and I, I enjoyed this. It, it was kind of insane. It's It has no business being a good movie because it's so dumb, but it's funny. Yeah, I really, I, I quite enjoyed this film. I liked the, the idea of friends yep. staying friends for as long as they are because of this game and the way they just drop everything. <laughs> To go play tag, and one of the characters, Jeremy Renner, the, the hook here is he's never been tagged right. in his entire life. So for 30 years, they have been unsuccessful in tagging him. And when we finally see him in action, it's so funny because these other guys, they just have so much enthusiasm. <laughs> but it turns into this, he's like this ninja. He's a yeah. tag ninja, and the way they film it and do all the stunt work is tremendous. Lots of great slapstick comedy in this. And he... Broke both his arms during it or right before they shot it? Who? Renner. Really? Yeah, he had like casts on his arms that were skin colored and stuff like weird things like that. Oh my God. Pick their shots accordingly sometimes. Ugh. Yeah. I had no idea. So yeah, I enjoyed Tag. I. I it was a, it was this kind of touching, charming, insane comedy about five dumb guys just wanting to play tag their whole the lives. The ending, I didn't. The, there's a swerve with Ed Helms' character at the end, which just makes no sense to me. I could not get on board with that. I was like, why? Why is this in this movie? Got a little. Yeah, it was a little serious and ultimately unsatisfying. I think, at least in without revealing it was yeah. unsatisfying in the way they resolved the conflict shall we yeah. say i was hoping for a different result on that but overall i i had quite a few laughs at this so i'll give tag three couch cushions out of five nice so uh what was it a recap skyscraper you gave it three couch cushions yep oceans eight i give it one couch cushion i yep. do not watch it tag three and then uh, in case you missed it earlier bohemian rhapsody four couch cushions out of five that's all the time we've got this week i'm brett he's jeff make sure you download the show subscribe to the the show on podcast wherever you get podcasts you can also also follow us on twitter what's the handle for that jeff couch potato 68 remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother